Well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason Whittle. I'm one of the elders here, and I have the privilege of, of teaching this morning. Uh, that's not a normal Sunday. Usually I'm back with my people, my kindergarten through fifth graders, teaching them. They're much more on my level. They get me. And so uh, uh, you guys are stuck with me today, but it is a privilege and it's an honor. But if you're f- first time here, I just want to say welcome and please come back so that you can hear Jay or Brian bring the word because they do a, an amazing job. Uh, as you know, over the last, gosh, we've been in First and Second Timothy since the beginning of last year, and it's been, it's been awesome. Today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do something that we've never done before, um, and we're going to get to that because we don't have a lot of time because uh, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to, to discuss. You just bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just in awe of you, just uh, so thankful that you love us, so thankful for a morning where we get to come together as, a, as your church and worship your holy name, a time where we get together and, uh, and uh, hear your word. I just pray that you'd speak through me this morning. I pray that my words wouldn't be my words, but they would be yours. Pray for all those teaching in the back and all of our kids in the back. And, and uh, we're just reminded, Lord, this week of, of just uh, that there is an enemy and uh, we just want to lift up all of our brothers and sisters throughout the world as we look at green windows, as we think about our, our sweet brothers and sisters in Nashville and uh, just all those. We just know that you are king and that you are in control and that you are good and we love you. And so we just thank you for this morning. And uh, in your precious son's name we pray, amen. So Jay and Brian, every week, they get up here and they do a great job, don't they? And, and I love the fact that they teach directly from God's Word. We don't have any doubt that what they're teaching us is God's Word. It comes right out of here, right, every week. In fact, it, it lines right up with our mission statement. Our, our mission statement says that the potter's house exists to be the church by making Christ-committed followers who make Christ-committed followers in our community and around the world by teaching and living the pure Word of God. And so, 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 so I just love that. Each week, we, as you know, we've been in First and Second Timothy. We, we take a book of the Bible and we just go through it line by line by line. And no one can say the potter's house doesn't teach the Word of God. Unless they thought this really wasn't the Word of God, right? How do we know that this is the Word of God. It's certainly not the only book, right? It's not the only book in the world that claims to be God's Word. The Quran, the Book of Mormon, there's hundreds of them that claim that they're the Word of God. Why is the Bible different? Why, why, is, the, why is Jesus different than, than, than any other Messiah? How sure are you that he wrote this whole book? We've been in a series with the junior high kids on Wednesday night, and uh, uh, it it deals with doubt and questions, and and I don't know everybody in here who's got a junior high kid, but you guys have done a great job of teaching them how to ask really hard questions. They got that down. 
When I was that age, I think the only questions I asked were, uh, when's my next meal? You know, when are we eating? And when's football practice? That was all I cared about was eating and food. And these kids, uh, they've got some really great questions. And, and the reality is, is I bet that many of you in here have some questions. And what I shared with them, uh, sometimes there's things that, that we don't know about God, Right? We can't know everything about God. We weren't with him when he spoke the universe into existence. And the reality is, if you think about it, is, is we don't want to be able to know all the questions about God. What kind of God, would, how great of a God would it be if we were on the same level and could understand in the same level that he does? It's just not possible. And so there's some questions that we're never going to be able to answer. But if this book is reliable, why this book is different than, than any others, why Jesus is the true Messiah, those things we can answer with certainty. Now, I, I've said for a long time now that uh, it doesn't, uh, uh, honestly, and, and I hope after today you feel the same way, that it doesn't take a lot of faith to, to really believe that the Bible is reliable, that the Bible is true, that the Bible is different, that we're not all serving the same God. The faith comes in on an everyday basis, which do I really believe that God's way is better than mine? Am I really going to lay down my own wants and needs and live my life for God? That's where the faith comes in. It's easy on a, on a cognitive level, on a, on, a, on an apologetics level to prove that the Bible is true, and we're, and we're going to do that today. Uh, and that's... That's what we're going to answer. We're going to answer why the Bible. Why the Bible? It's a really important question to be able to answer because no matter what the question is that pertains to God and his word, where are you going to find the answer? Right? Where are you going to find the answer? There's no other book that has higher authority. This is the ultimate authority. We don't look at another book to cross-reference and to make sure, oh, yep, God's word lines up with this book. No. All of the answers are found in here. It's the ultimate authority. There's no higher authority. One thing I want to make sure that you guys understand today is that uh, we're not going to be defending the Bible. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. You, 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 uh, he says, uh, what's exactly? He says, the Bible doesn't need defended any more than a lion needs defending. You just turn it loose. You just turn it loose. And the other thing is that no one comes through faith or comes to faith or is saved because of more information or because they got a sophisticated enough answer to a question. Nobody, nobody saved that. Nobody comes to faith like that. People's lives are changed when they put their complete faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. That's what changes people's lives. 20 years ago, I uh, had the privilege of sitting under this guy, Vody Bauckham. He would come to PAO, Professional Athletes Outreach. It was a conference that Natalie and I used to go to every year. And we heard him speak three or four different times. And, and he spoke exactly on this, why the Bible. And, I, and I'm just going to steal most of his stuff because he is an unbelievable apologetics teacher. Brian gave me some, some, some other stuff, and we're going to sprinkle that in. And... But I remember hearing it for the first time, and, 
he, he broke down why it was reliable. And I was just like, I was mad because I, was, I had been through school and I had been through college and, and they teach these things like it's fact. And the reality is it's not. We've got a bunch of high school kids here to, this morning and, and they're getting ready to go into college and they're going to be... Uh, they're going to be challenged. Their faith is going to be challenged more so than, than you and I is on a daily basis. Our colleges these days are, are, are just are, are tough for a believer. So how do we answer that question? Why do you believe the Bible? Somebody asks you, why do you believe the Bible? What do you, what do you say? Just think about that for a second. Why do you, somebody asks you, why do you choose to believe the Bible? And usually people respond in one of two ways. The first one is, and it's not very good, is, is that I was raised that way, or I was born a Christian. And the reality is, is nobody's born a Christian. You're just not. You're saved by grace alone through faith alone. And it's your faith, not your parents, not your grandparents. I don't care if you're a fourth or fifth generation Christian. Everybody surrounding you is a Christian. You're not born a Christian. It's through Christ's work and your faith in that and your delight in that. So I, I was raised that way. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a great answer. Think about some of the things uh, think about some of the things that we were taught and that we were raised. I think about uh, when I was a kid, after we would eat, we couldn't go back in the water for 30 minutes because you're going to cramp up and die, or cramp up and drown. That's a bunch of baloney. They just didn't want us they were tired of watching us swim for a while. They needed a break, right? That's, that's just not true. Uh, everybody hears, you know, I still hear this to this day, you know, uh, don't go outside, you know, in the winter, don't go outside with a coat and hat. You're going to get sick. That's not what causes you to get sick. It's germs. It has nothing to do with whether you have a coat or a hat on. It's not very smart to go out like that, but you're not going to get sick from it. Uh, so anyway, I, the way I was raised uh, isn't a great answer. Also, think about, I mean, People might have been raised Muslim, or they might have been raised Hindu. The, the, the way that we are raised has no validity on whether something is true or not. A second, a second answer is certainly better, and it's really hard for somebody to argue with, but it potentially has some holes in it. And that, that answer is, I tried it and it worked for me, or it changed my life. And that's awesome. And, and if you couple that with your testimony, that can be really powerful and it can truly change people's lives. Uh, but apologetically, whenever we use it to justify intellectually, one could, one could make that claim that people have tried other religions and they've changed, it's changed their lives. You see it all the time. Malcolm X was an unbelievable... Uh, Example of that. He was, a, he was a young guy, got into a ton of trouble, ended up in prison, uh, was a, just in a, not a very good guy, found the Messiah, changed his life, became a model prisoner, got out, started over 100 places of worship. The Messiah he worshiped was Muhammad. Later he, later he denounced that and said it was all a sham. But, but, the, but the reality is sometimes our experiences can be false. We, 
We can, that can't be the only reason something is true. Otherwise, it would just be whatever works for you works for you, and whatever works for me works for me. And that's, that's literally what society wants to say these days. They, they want to say that whatever works for you works for you. But that doesn't make something true. That's, that's, that's not a great way to answer. So it's not experience, and it's not the way that we were raised. So what is it? Well, it's awesome because... Uh, we talk about this with the junior high boys all the time. All the answers are found in here. Everything you want to know is in here. I apologize. i got to put glass. I have finally bowed to wearing glasses. My wife has been telling me I need them for three years. And I actually haven't even been using, I've been using my phone as the Bible because it's bigger. And I've, but now I've, I've decided I'm just giving in and I'm putting on my glasses. So if everybody would turn to... To uh, Second Peter, <laughs> you're clapping. Are you serious? Second Peter. If we go to Second Peter 1:16, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Please turn there, because I want you to. Again, we want to be like the Bereans. I want to make sure we're we're checking our stuff here. So here's the answer. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, who, I'm, who I love, and with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Did you hear it in there? This is kind of what Peter said in a nutshell. It's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies that claim their writings are divine rather than in human origin. That's our answer. Did you hear that? Did you hear that in Peter's? It was in there. It's an awesome answer, and it's such a true answer. Let's, I want, we're going to break that down today, and I hope by the time we get out of here, you can recite that or at least come close to reciting that. And the first part is that it's a reliable collection of historical documents. The Bible is different from almost every other religious book in this aspect. It's not just one big book that one person wrote who supposedly heard from God and nobody else was there. That's what, that's what most of the one person heard from God, supposedly, and then they write a book. The Bible? It's a collection of books. It's actually, it's actually 66 books written by over 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. Over 1,500 years it was written. It was written in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. It was written on three different continents, uh, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Most of the authors, they never met one another. Some of them did, but most of them didn't. They come from all different walks of background. Some of them are, 
Some of them are uh, kings. Some of them are fishermen and pretty much uh, tons of things in between those things. And the crazy thing is that all 40 authors, all 66 books, point to the Messiah. If you're talking about it's the Messiah to come in the Old Testament, and it's the Messiah that they got to walk with in the New Testament. But they all are pointing. If you have kids and you have the Jesus Storybook Bible, it does a great job. Uh, It says every every story whispers his name. And it's the common thread that's weaved throughout Scripture. We have a reliable collection of historical documents. Turn to Luke 1 through 4. Luke is a physician. He is a uh, historian. Let's see what, what Luke says right here. Luke 1. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of things you have been taught. Not so you can have blind faith, it's so that you can have certainty. There was four different Gospels written with four different perspectives to four different audiences for four different purposes. People love to say, the people who argue against the Bible, they love to say, well, there's all these discrepancies in, in, in the Gospels. There's a, you know, why, why don't they all say the same thing? You know, the, some of the stories are left out. Some of the stories look just, just a hair different. And, and, and the reality is that, that these men were teaching different things that they thought were important to whoever they were teaching them to. John is writing so that we might believe Matthew's writing, he's writing specifically to the Jews and, and, and trying to get them to see that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Mark is writing to the Gentiles, and Mark is, Mark is kind of this really fast, he's kind of like just the facts, ma'am, you know, I mean, he's just, it, it's the shortest and just really fast. Luke, as we see, is writing for a totally different purpose. Again, it says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as those were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants to the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the certainty of the things. He's put this together. He's made sure he's done his research. He's acknowledging Did you catch it? He's acknowledging that there's other writers. He's acknowledging that there's other purposes in those writings. Here's the other thing. If if I want you to think about this, if all four gospels said exactly the same thing, said the same stories, the, the chances of them being true would be actually much less likely. It's true. That's what they actually look for. If Matt Cody was in here, he could tell you. If you get a if, if that's one of the things that policemen look for, that's what they look for in a court of law is, uh, say these guys rob a bank, 
and beforehand they come up with an alibi that they're going to tell everybody, and they're getting questioned. If they all say the exact same thing, and they all have the exact same story, they know that they all got together and, do, and came up with that because that's not what happens. That's not how life works. Whenever there's eyewitnesses, whenever they're experiencing things from different perspectives, they see things differently and things stick out to them and, and they see it just, just a hair differently. And so we actually know because the Gospels aren't identical word for word, we know that they're actually more reliable. If, it, if we were trying to prove it in a court of law, we would know that that would be more reliable. So again, we have a reliable collection of historical documents. Say it with me. We have a reliable collection of historical documents. The next thing is that it was written by eyewitnesses. Written by eyewitnesses. Again, if you look at Luke, it says who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. If we go to 2 Peter, our main package, go back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, what does he say? We receive honor and... We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Skip down to 18. It says, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven. They weren't just eyewitnesses. They were earwitnesses. I don't know if that's a thing, but they, were, they, were, they, 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 they saw it. Peter saw it. He heard it. Turn to 1 John, just a couple pages later. 1 John chapter 1, the first three verses. It says, that which was born from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, that we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim it to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Seen, heard, Touch. You like those movies, the, the whodunit movies, the, like uh, the Knives Out. Those movies don't work if at the beginning of the movie you have three or four eyewitnesses that tell you, hey, the grandson did it. I hope I didn't ruin that for you, but the grandson did it. If you haven't seen it by now, the grandson did it. Eyewitnesses mess it up. When we have eyewitnesses, it's really powerful. And many of the people that wrote the, the Bible were straight eyewitnesses. The next part, written during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Written during the, they were eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Why is this a big deal? Because it makes the claims falsifiable. And what does that mean? That just means that you're standing up and saying something in the presence of others who can verify whether you're telling the truth or not. They could stand up and say, nope, he's lying. It makes it much harder to lie. It would be like if I went to Jay when he got back and said, Jay, I taught on 2 Timothy. I did a pretty good job. We'd have a whole room full of people who would be able to falsify. Nope, that's not what he taught on. It makes it much more powerful. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 
1 Corinthians 15. Start in verse 1 through 8. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Paul's saying, when I wrote First Corinthians, when I'm writing right now, there's at least, we know that there is at least, if you do the numbers backwards, there's at least 301 people who are still alive at the time. And not one of them ever falsified what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians. And if 1 Corinthians is falsifiable, we know the rest of the New Testament is falsifiable as well. The Bible is the only religious book in the whole world that can make that claim that it's falsifiable. It's really powerful. We have all this stuff, all these facts, yet... There's some people that, that, that you know, I've, I've had buddies that have said, well, I just, I just can't believe because men wrote the Bible. Well, then you should go home and get rid of every book you have because I'm pretty sure men wrote every single book. The other thing people like to say is, well, well I only believe in science. You can't prove the Bible scientifically. You're right, you can't. We don't use science to prove historical events. We, we, for, for, some, for to use the scientific method, if it's got to be observable, measurable, and repeatable. History is none of those. What we use is the evidentiary method. Like in a courtroom. We see, is it, are there eyewitnesses? Is it corroborated? Are there other, are there other people who, are there eyewitnesses during other eyewitnesses? Is it reliable? Hmm, that's what we're doing. Here's some more that people struggle with. It's been translated so many times. Things have been changed. It's dated so late. There's these overzealous monks and Constantine and, and uh, you know, I saw the Da Vinci Code. And, and uh, let's just break those down real quick. So translated so many times. If somebody says this to you, uh, they have no idea what they're talking about. It has been translated so many times, but in translation, if it's a literal interpretation, if it's a literal translation, they always go back to the original manuscripts or the, or the oldest manuscripts we have. They do, the, new, the NIV doesn't go back or, or to the uh, New King James, and the New King James doesn't go back to the Old King James, and the King James doesn't go back to the Geneva they are, or whatever order you want to put them in, they all individually go back to the original or the oldest manuscripts we have. All of them. So, so the reality is, is the more we translate them and, and the more they stay the same, the more provable it is. The, the more reliable 
it makes it. It's actually making a, a false claim. But people who say that, they just, they just don't understand. Well, how about, how about the, you know, the Da Vinci Code, the Constantine and all these overzealous months he had that it changed what the Bible means? They added a bunch of stuff about Jesus being God. Well, there's some, there's some problems with that. And the first problem is, is just consider this. There's over 6,000 Greek manuscripts. We have over 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and we have over 5,000 Coptic, Syriac, and other ancient versions. There's over 25,000 total manuscripts. So let's just, let's just break it down. The 6, 000, let's look at the 6,000 Greek manuscripts. So these monks would have had to go and collect 6,000 manuscripts from all over. They would have had to change it, not show their work, and not get caught. Not very likely. There's a second part to that. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all people groups. When you make disciples of all people groups or all nations, they speak other languages. They spoke Coptic, Syriac, and Latin before that third century, before Constantine, before Constantine, before all this is supposedly happened. So they translated those. They had manuscripts. They had over 5,000 of those manuscripts. So those monks would have had to track those down all over the place, wherever they were. They would have had to, first they would have had to learn Syriac, Coptic, and Latin. They would have had to change those to match those identically to the Greek manuscripts. They would have had to not show their ink and not get caught. Not very, not very likely. The third part is that we have over one million quotations or commentaries of the New Testament from the early church fathers. They wrote down everything word for word. It was unbelievable. Uh, even without any of the manuscripts, we can reconstruct the New Testament minus 11 verses from their writings alone. Now the monks would have to find a million writings, wherever those are, change all those, make sure they match what they changed in the Coptic, Syriac, and the Greek, not get caught and not show their work. And if you do the math, they would have had to live over 400 years. It just doesn't make sense. And so people who, people who make that, they, they saw the Da Vinci Code, and the Da Vinci Code was created by Hollywood to make money it's not a history. It's not a history movie. It's not supposed to be true. Yet people just buy into it. It's crazy. But one of the things we, we uh, the other thing you hear is, well, you keep talking about the oldest manuscripts. They're not the original manuscripts. Well, that's true. We, we, we don't have the original manuscripts. It was written on papyrus that just didn't last that long. Uh, but we have we have copies that date back to 125 A.D. And the New Testament was written around 44 to 95 A.D. So we have, we have manuscripts within three decades, within 30 years. And I know that doesn't sound that, that sounds really old to you guys sitting around. 30 years is like ancient. But when you're talking about ancient writings, it's unbelievable. Let's pull up that next slide. Or pull, so I don't know if you can read that. So here's what we have for some ancient, just to compare it, just to put it in context, this is what we have. 
Julius Caesar in the Gallic Wars, what we know about Julius Caesar, we have less than 12 manuscripts. Less than 12. And the oldest one we have is within a thousand years. They're a thousand years old, not 30. 30 years of the New Testament, a thousand years with Julius Caesar's. Aristotle's Poetics, again, less than 12, not 25,000. We have 25,000 in the Bible. 1,400 years. These next five guys, I'm going to hurt myself trying to say their names, but Levi, Tacitus, Suetonius, you, you can kind of look through there, the number surviving. I mean, there's not, there's 27, 3, 220, and 75. And the, and the closest we can find is 400 years, between 400 and 800 years. Those five guys, that's 80 to 90% of what they teach on Roman history. What they, all of these in our schools teaches absolute fact. Yet they have not even anywhere near, not anywhere near the amount of documentation that the Bible has. It, 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 it's not even close. It's not even in the same ballpark. One more thing, we have over 25,000 archaeological digs that have happened in the world uh, that relate to the Bible. And not one of them has ever contradicted the Bible. They've tried to make contradictions, and then they find out later on as they're digging or they're digging somewhere else that, oh, that wasn't that. 25,000. It's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. The, the next part is that they, were, they report supernatural events. Not superhuman events. It's not Patrick Mahomes on Sunday. It's not M Michael Jordan. These are supernatural events. Again, look at 2 Peter. Go back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, verse 17 and 18. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration there. It's Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. And Peter's like, oh. You go back and read the account, he's like, I mean, he's blown away. He's like, we should build something right here and stay here forever. It is supernatural. Jesus' face is glowing. His clothes are glowing. It, it was something that blew Peter's mind. He heard the voice of God. They see these old prophets. It is not normal. It is not. It is supernatural. And, and obviously, we, we see that throughout Scripture, right? We see Jesus. He, he's constantly healing people. He, he's making the lame walk. He's making the blind see. He raises a little girl from the dead. He raises Lazarus from the dead after four days. And of course, the best one, this Sunday, over 2,000 years ago, this Sunday, Jesus is riding in on a donkey. The next, next five days, he spends, with, he spends with his disciples and doing more miracles. One of my favorites is when he, he puts, the, 
puts the ear back on the, on the guy that Peter cut off the night before he's, they came to arrest him, and Peter cuts it off, and Jesus, whoop, puts it back on there. But on Friday, Jesus allows himself to be crucified. And then on Sunday, he's risen from the grave. He's risen. That's supernatural. Some of the people like to dismiss that. They say, oh, that didn't really happen. Uh, His disciples came and stole the body. Uh, Let's just think about that for a minute. They had Roman soldiers there. If that would have had, those Roman soldiers would have been defending that with their life because it would have cost them their life. The other thing I want you to think about is that when Jesus died on the cross, they all went into hiding. Everything changed for them. They, uh, their whole mentality changed. They, 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 they had lost heart. They thought everything that they thought they knew was, was turned upside down. Oh, they thought Jesus must not have been the Messiah. He obviously was an awesome teacher, but he, he must not have been the promised Messiah. That's what they were thinking. But then after Sunday, Jesus appears to them. And for the next 40 days, he appears to them and over 500 other people. The Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples and they don't just become, they they don't just come out of hiding, they become unbelievably bold. Something had to change between Friday and Sunday in the next 40 days for them to, for for this group of, of men who were scared to death to now all of a sudden spend the rest of their lives on mission to share the good news, to be willing to die really horrible deaths. Every single one, we, know, we don't know from the Bible, but we know from, from other historical uh, books uh, you know, for, that more than likely uh, all of them but John were, were killed for the cause. It, it, it's rumored that Peter was crucified upside down. You may trick somebody into believing things that aren't true, but if you are there and you have a mindset that, oh, it must not have been true, something drastic has to change. You must have experienced something crazy for you to have the willingness to spend the rest of your life doing that and to allow that to happen and to dismiss all other things. Maybe something like you saw somebody crucified and then raised from the dead. You saw somebody ascend into heaven. How crazy is that? That that would probably do it, right? Supernatural events. It's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. Took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. They weren't just uh, general prophecies. I could, say, I, could, I could say this. I bet there's somebody in here who's suffering from back pain. Right? They weren't general prophecies. They were really specific prophecies. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Over 300 of those specific prophecies. 
We're just going to look at one today. If you turn to Psalm 22, turn to Psalm 22. If this was first century, if this was first century, if this would have been back when the disciples, they wouldn't have been able to tell you to turn to Psalm 22 because it, it wasn't numbered. They didn't have verses. They didn't have chapters. What would have been said is they would have, it, what I would have told you to do is that I would have asked you to turn to the song, turn to the song, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where have you guys heard that? Where have you heard, my God, my God, where have you forsaken me? Yeah, when Jesus was on the cross. Jesus is on the cross, and it's one of the things that, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? Why would Jesus be saying something? Why, why would he be pointing to the title of a song? Let's read it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words on my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and delivered you. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Verse 6 but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Going down to, uh, going down to verse, verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. If you're hanging on the cross, one of the things that happens is Everything becomes dislocated. Your bones become out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shed, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You'd probably ask. You'd probably say you were thirsty. That's what Jesus did. You lay me in the dust. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. Dogs is a word for for uh, the Roman soldiers. A band of evil men has encircled me. He was surrounded by, by a couple criminals on either side. They have pierced my hands and my feet. We know that he was nailed to the cross. What's interesting is that not everybody was nailed. A lot of times they, they tied them to the cross so that uh, the death would take longer, but they needed it to be a quicker death because it was a holy day that was coming. I can count all my bones. We know that Jesus is... Uh, all of his bones were intact. Usually they went around and they broke the, the prisoners... Uh, the people who were being crucified, they broke their legs to make sure to, to hasten their death. But they didn't do that because Jesus had already passed away. If you read, if you read the account, it talks about that. Uh, I can count on my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's exactly what they had, right? We know that this account is of Jesus, right? I mean, you, you see the parallel? There's no question in it. What's crazy is, what's crazy is, is that this was written over a thousand years before Jesus was crucified and almost a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. David, who's the author of this, is describing a crucifixion in detail. Jesus' crucifixion 
almost word for word, and it's a thousand years before it was ever invented. We have a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report supernatural events that take place in fulfillment of specific prophecies, the last part. They claim that their writings are divine rather than human in nature. If you turn back to 2 Peter, verse 20. 2 Peter, verse 20. Verse 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's saying this is the Word of God. And this isn't the only place in the Bible. Thus the Lord said. This isn't the only place that, uh, that it's claiming as the Word of God. In fact, over 1,500 times it says that this is the Word of God, that God spoke this. It is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies prophecies that claim their writings are divine rather than human in nature. That's the answer. And then when you, when, when you get done with that, then you say, and Jesus changed my life. And Jesus changed my life. I just want to leave you guys one more thought. I don't want you guys to get this wrong. The goal, the goal with all of this is not to win the argument. We want to win people's hearts. No one's going to come to faith because of they have more knowledge, or because they got an answer to an intellectual question that they had. Again, they come by faith. They're going to come to faith because they put, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And hopefully you get the opportunity to, to maybe start that conversation or, 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 or take away some doubts so that they'll step in here on a Sunday or so that you'll get an opportunity to, to tell them why Jesus changed your life and how he changed your life and what your life looked like before and what it looks like now. That's the goal. That's what we want to do. We, we don't want to just say, because I was raised that way. We have an unbelievable responsibility to share the good news with the rest of the world. And man, we've got, we've got the only book that is absolutely true. There's no higher authority. So I just want to impress with you. I want to challenge you guys to, uh, to use this, again, not as a weapon, not to beat people down, not to sound super intelligent, but to love on people and to, to have the opportunity to, to speak truth into people's lives. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, that it is true, that it is without error, that you love us so much that you, you sent that so that we could know you. 
I pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word, that we would love people like you love people, that we would see people like you see people. And uh, I just pray as we leave here that uh, our lives would would also be changed. And uh, we're just unbelievably grateful. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good Sunday. Palm Sunday.